Welcome to Second Emulation, the podcast that explores all things pop culture, from movies and TV shows to the latest anime releases. Join us as we dive into the world of entertainment, sharing our thoughts, opinion, and insights on the latest trends and releases, with a focus on what's hot and what's not, where you go to source for all things pop culture. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Welcome. The latest episode of Demon Slayer has left fans buzzing with excitement and anticipation. Let's dive into the episode titled Bright Red Blade. Now, picking up where we're li- leaving off with character development and growth. We're in this area, we're seeing a lot of growth from Mochirio. He's one of the characters I want to actually highlight in this segment because he was presented to us as someone who was a prodigy and he had this cold demeanor about him in the first episode and he actually presented himself that way now since his earlier interactions with Tanjiro we've noticed this slight change from him and given during this episode we've noticed that he's actually been pivoting based on his interactions with Tanjiro and his own internal kind of like struggle and has been forcing him to make a slight pivot. Now we see him after the first encounter with the emotion type demons, we're seeing him making a beeline trying to scramble to get back to the village. And on his path, we see him encounter Kotetsu, who happens to be in a struggle against um, a fish demon or a fish demon minion. Now, as we're from the point of view of Mochiro, we're seeing him have this kind of internal struggle about should he or should he not, you know, help this individual? Where are his priorities? One, He's a Hashra, and his main objective, since there are now demons, is to protect the village and the village chief. But on the other hand, since he's been exposed to Tondro and Tondro's kind of words of wisdom, he's now at a pivotal point, point that he's been reflecting on these words that Tondro has spoke to him that. If he does random acts of kindness, that those acts will be paid tenfold to him in the future. And right then and there, against his own best judgment of what he prioritizes, he makes a detour. And he pivots to go help Koketsu who is struggling against his, what he considers his better judgment. Now, this is actually great stride and character growth for uh, Mochiro since we were introduced to him in the episode one and we were told that this guy is cold-hearted. Like the first interaction with Koketsu he did not give 
and he fucked. He didn't care. He was all about that business. He was him. He was down to kill no matter, like demons were the priority. He didn't care about Tanjiro. He didn't care about Getsu. He was there for his sword and to handle business. And from that first episode and several others until now, this was a great leaps and bounds and growth for this character who was introduced as being emotionless, cold-hearted. And, and so I think sprinkled in through here, he, I feel, gets a lot of the spotlight within this episode just because it goes against how he was written, like how he was developed. Yes, we understand that he has amnesia, you know, and that plays into how he is cold and calculated. But still, he's going against that sort of defense mechanism that he either developed for himself. Now, after he's helped Koketsu detach this demon, then that like stage of development for him is that he kind of goes with uh, Koketsu to the shed that Koketsu tells him that, hey, we need to go to the shed to protect the swords, that they're in danger. And if the demons get to them, then we don't have any way to defend ourselves. Again, Mochiro is at another crossroads because he was, he had told himself, I'm just going to save this guy and then I'm going to move on to my next objective. And here he is, again, Tanjiro's words, telling him another, doing another act of kindness is going to pay tenfold. And against, again, against what he had always told himself, focus on the mission, focus on yourself. You're the Hashra. You're all about that business. And against the grain, he agrees and he takes Koketsu to the shed. And I find it very important because this is great character development and growth for this character. Because we're presented and we see the internal struggle that he has. And I mentioned before, yes, he has amnesia. But even with that, we see how the internal struggle that he's having and that the people that he's interacting with are allowing him to develop a moral compass, something that he either maybe had previously and just forgot. And maybe we'll find out in later episodes why that is the case. But it is, again, great stride we're seeing. 
And on this way to the shed, Machiro is stopped because he senses an upper five demon that blocks her path. And so again, he tells Kakitsu to step back and another ensuing battle is going to occur. Now, we transition and here another character that we didn't get too much involvement with that we were introduced to previously you know get little snippets here and there was Mitsuri Kanroji and I do apologize if I mispronounce that name but she is known as the Love Hashira and we were introduced to her early on in the season, but we are we see her coming into the village and just we didn't get much interaction and growth from her from previous episodes, but we as we see her making a beeline to the village, it's understandable that her abilities as she's flashing in and out taking care of the position that she has and how well-known she is, that there's huge character development, that she has a reputation with the village. And the reason why I bring this up, because there's an interaction that happens with her reaching the chief's the head chief's village home and taking out a a moderate large demon. Now there's comments where they talk about the sword. Now the sword is unique. Now the reason why I say it just falls under the character development growth is because her sword is very well known and somewhat one specific a swordsmith made her sword. It's very unorthodox. And so this stands to reason that she has a very unique connection to the village. And from an early age. And so that would only stand to reason that based on her sword that there might have been years of her after it had been created, her trying to master it, trying to get it the techniques right, because as we are introduced to the sword, it looks like a ribbon for gymnastics. So there's no way that an orthodox that it would fit into a sheet. And for her to either master that blade it would take some time, and so it would be understandable that she and the swordsmith who made it had spent a great deal of time together in order for her to master that blade based on her specific roles of what she wanted. And I put her here as part of like character growth because we're hoping that in further episodes we'll get some growth for her character we were introduced a bit to her early on and so just getting a tidbit here would be it's interesting 
because just seeing her abilities and seeing how renowned she is and how popular she's, she is within the village is nice to see. Now, there are some key battle sequences that I want to like highlight. One, I'm going back to Mitsuri, her approaching the village. Now, when we notice like demon slayers attacking demons using their swords, you're able to see the swing of the sword, how it's animated. But in Mitsuri's case, you're completely unable to actually see the action of the sword being swinged at all. It's just not even animated to this point. So as she first arrives in the village and she's just running through and just taking out all the demons, we don't even see the sword being unsheathed. All the demons are just being taken out as she's running through. And that is actually interesting because you can't see the movement. And so not sure if that's intentionally animated that way. And I find it unique because other demon, demon slayer members, when they're using their sword, you're able to see it, them cutting, taking out a demon. But in her case, you're unable to. And I find that very unique based just on her unique ability. And what I find even more interesting is that when we get to the village chief, which I mentioned in the previous part about character growth, is that when she utilizes one of her breathing techniques and we do see the sword in full length, in full length, and you ask yourself, how can this sword be moving at that type of speed without being noticed? And then for that brief moment, when she does her breathing technique for the first time, and then she swings it, it you don't even see the action. So that one moment where she still and she performs a breathing technique, to the action of her behind the large demon, and you don't even see the sword action being taken, the swings. And that I find very unique. Now, there's been other demon slayers where the action of them cutting a demon has been very quick. I think Zenetsu was probably one of them with his thunder breathing. But with him, you actually see, you know, him unsheathing, the action of cutting, and then the sword being put back. So I find it as a very unique battle sequence with her case that you don't even see the sword swing and the sword being sheathed. It's like even she even pulled out the sword. And so I thought it was epic. I was like, they didn't. She is that epic that she don't even have. She don't. They're not even a waste frames of her pulling out the sword. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now, 
the next epic battle sequence, I think, is the continued battle between the upper fourth emotion demon, where we have Genja, Tandra, and Nezuko. And this battle, I would say, it has so many layers to it because it's as it's such an unorthodox thing, even for Tandra and Nezuko, because they've never encountered something like this. It's normally just been straightforward where Tandra and Nezuko have, or Tandra has developed a plan, and that plan was basically cut the head off the demon. And that worked for them. In this instant, how can you fight an upper demon where that one thing that you're supposed to do, such as beheading the demon, is no longer valid. That game plan doesn't work. And now that's been taken out of the equation. And this battle has now been a battle of attrition with so many layers. And you're not just dealing with one demon, you're dealing with multiple. You have Ganja with his gun, and you have Tanjo and Nezuko dodging their attacks, and it, it pretty much comes down to who's going to have the, la- the upper hand. And what I find this sequence is that as the battle draws out, we get to a moment where I find very unique. And I don't think it has happened before, but we see Nezuko provide her demon blood art to Tanjiro's blade, which causes the blade to engulf in flames. Now, what this ends up doing, this triggers a memory in the demons. This causes them to reflect back to Yurichi, a sun breather. Now, Tondro, this is their trump card. He's, we gotta end it. And this sequence is done so beautifully. We don't know how long the demon art's gonna last. And he's, I gotta take it, take them all out. So we have Tondro with his sword engulfed in flames it's turning bright red which is the title of the episode and he perf- we have three of the demons lined up ganja is probably nowhere in sight and tandra thinking i need a way to probably line them all up and take them out in sequence not one by one and so he performs a breathing, a sun breathing move. And this sequence is so smooth. I think it's the most epic sequence because it happens so quick. We see 
an aerial view of it looks like a serpent's tail of you know how Tondra is just maneuvering around all three deem emotion demons and as he's done it shows a dragon and all three demons have their head cut off it happens to be the most epic thing to happen and personally i thought it was done i was like yes crazy he's done it and this kind of brings me up to our next point here that i want to talk about plot twists and surprising revelations just when we thought it was done we realize or we find out that it's not conjuro performs godly move to take out three demon at once but it was lost effort the demons reattach their heads and we find out that cutting their heads at the same time also doesn't work so that's a a surprising revelation that not Cutting their heads off one by one, not even cutting their heads off at the same time doesn't work. So Tondro is going through his game plan again, has to retool his game plan. And just when at this point he's exhausted, he doesn't know what he's going to do, and he's about to get jumped, we see Genja, who's Taking out one of the four demons, and he himself looks like a demon. This whole reveal, like we see him take out, like he's holding a demon by the head. It either he shot, he cut the head off, he blasted the head off. We see him like convulsing. He's taking on the traits of the demon that he just killed like this giant revelation don't know what to expect but like that was a huge plot twist which would explain why Genja was taking so many hits to begin with why when the demons were like giving him almost killing blows they were like asking him why isn't he dead? Is he unique like Nezuko? Like, is he some kind of demon? He can't be, he has to be something because he can walk out in the daylight. So he has to be something. But yeah, like, it would explain a whole, it would, it's a whole, you know, huge question mark reveal. Like, he's something that, which allows him to survive all these hits and tanking all their attacks previously which also explains in the early first season of demon slayer that how he was able to survive in during the trials like 
he's mentioned that he can't perform any, any breathing techniques. So whatever he is, he's been able to kill demons successfully on his own. And his healing factor is, is broken. So like when he's not, when he's in, in base form, apparently he, he, he's good. But whatever he did to trigger that, his healing factor is broken. So he's a tank. And so that was the hugest twist possible. And Tanjiro doesn't know shit. Is do I have to now contend with Genja? Here he was on my side. Do I now have to, is he still an ally or is he now an enemy? And that's the, that's the revelation. Like, do I now have to, is it me and Nezuko now have to go up against upper demons by ourselves or can Genja still be trusted? And, and that's the question everyone you know has on their mind. We don't know because yeah, he's holding the demon's head. We don't know if he's still friend or foe. He could just be rabid and just like going berserk and just taking out anyone that he seen he deems as a threat. And you know the demon right there was deem deem he deemed as a threat at that time. And maybe he might turn on Tondro and Nezuko. We never know. So that was like the hugest reveal. And so that had everyone going, you know, what to expect for the next episode. And like the hugest plot twist, because it got me thinking like, okay, will they explain what Genja is? Will they go into his backstory? Will they give us little tidbits? Or will they just leave it as is and leave you questioning his family history but this brings this episode to a close i'll catch you guys in the next one bye thanks for tuning into this episode of second emulation where we explore the latest in pop culture movies tv shows and anime if you enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and review to help us reach more listeners. And don't forget to follow us on social media for even more pop culture content and to stay up to date on all the latest news and releases. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. So until next time, keep on emulating and stay tuned for more exciting content.